You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Episode 172, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informal format through expert analysis. And today I'm delighted to have my new friend, Chris Habig. He's a CEO and founder of Freedom HealthWorks and the host of the Healthcare Americana podcast. Basically, what Chris does, along with his brother, who serves as their legal support, is they help physicians be successful entering direct primary care. We've talked about DPC a number of times in the show, and what Freedom HealthWorks provides is the back-end support the assistance for starting a business, how to market, how to set it up, and that know-how that usually you don't get when you're in your training in residency or medical school. It's certainly not something that's required. It's not something that you have to have. But some people find that they need a hand, just some extra comfort in knowing that they're doing the right thing and that they're setting up the business the right way to be successful as quickly as possible. And that's really what Chris does. Secondarily, he provides a network of other physicians they can contact. Although, again, we've talked on the show a number of times, there are plenty of communities that exist with DPC that people can get plugged into. And so using a service like Freedom HealthWorks is not necessary, but for many, it is extremely helpful. Certainly, if you're interested in Chris's business at Freedom HealthWorks or want to learn more about him, you can go to the show notes page at theparadox.com slash 172. There will be links to that and a couple of episodes that are related to DPC. But without further ado, Chris Habig from Freedom HealthWorks on starting the practice of your dreams. Enjoy. I'm here with my new friend, Chris Habig. He's the CEO and founder of Freedom HealthWorks and the host of Healthcare Americana podcast. He's a Butler University grad in finance who did a lot of pre-med classes but chose to pass on being a doctor and went on to run businesses instead, including one of the biggest, uh, largest single-family residential property management firms in America. He is currently a runner, as I mentioned, that runs the Freedom Health Works with his brother, and it helps docs, I guess vaguely, uh, to exit and succeed outside the system. So, Chris, thanks so much for joining the show. Dr. Larson, great to, great to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Why don't you guys, I guess, go into why you started Freedom Works? Because I think that's an interesting story of why you did that. I mean, obviously, we kind of joked a little bit that you didn't become a doctor, maybe wisely so, but I think probably for your parents, right? You are not the first person who's uh, ever told me, you know what, probably a good idea to go to business school rather than medical school. Uh, and that was a decision I had to make about 13 years ago. You know, I, I, I have 
two physicians as parents. Dad's a family doc. Um, he's an institution in a small town north of Indianapolis. Uh, mom's an internist who made her um, career setting up hospitalist programs kind of in rural hospitals. So, you know, two people who get the side of medicine that, you know, will put the physician at the kind of a, more of a pedestal uh, in, a, in a community. And I could saw, I, I saw the impact, I guess is the bottom line. I saw the impact that a trusted physician could have on a local community, small towns. I thought that's what every doctor did. I thought that this sure. is, this is amazing. Like, you know, growing up when you're 14, 15 years old, you walk into a local restaurant and everyone's like, Hey doc, Hey, how are you? You know, you're sitting there like, Oh my gosh, how do you know everybody? It's because people <laughs> cared and he cared about them. Um, fast forward to, you know, my undergrad years, I was, uh, I'm the last of uh, three kids and I was the last hope to, for anybody to enter medicine. And I was pre-med. Um, I remember the day I shut my MCAT book and it was after some very tough conversations with my parents and family friends and people who've known me since I've been in diapers and, you know, a very strong medical community who said to a T absolutely 100% of them said, Chris, I would not go be a doctor again if I was in your shoes. And okay. I'm 21, you know, 22 at that time, fairly impressionable. Uh, people have, <laughs> have called me uh, strong-willed uh, to be nice about it before, but I'm like, you know what? I, that's, I, I trust these people. I love these people. These, that's, that's pretty powerful. And when I tell that story, you know, kind of like kind of what you hinted at there, that wasn't an exception. That was a rule to a lot of physicians would discourage their, their kids or even their family friends or even people coming in saying, hey, my dreams go to medical school. And a lot of physicians said, mm, why? Why would you do that to yourself? I wouldn't go back and do it again. I'm kind of stuck here. And uh, that was just kind of the very early beginning, kind of the formative years of how we eventually landed at Freedom HealthWorks and what we have here today. Yeah. And so your story reminds me of my, my story in the sense that I'm an anesthesiologist. I walk down through town. Nobody knows me. I mean, almost, almost nobody. My wife's a pediatrician and we go to the, she's like a rock star. Like all these little kids come up to you. They're like, you know, and so I definitely get that sort of, that sort of uh, fame that kids feel. And I think, you know, my story is a little bit different now. I think the way my impression of being, of going into medicine, like I remember when I first finished I would always say, well, make sure you really want to go. Like you have to be really passionate about it in order to go and make it through. And I'm, I'm much more circumspect now. I think I'm, I'm much more supportive of people going to medicine. And I've, I'm just more optimistic about the profession than I was a few years ago, which it surprised me. I did not expect that. When I started the show, I think I've probably said this a number of times in the show, and listeners would know that, but I was very pessimistic when I entered this, started the show in 2018. And since then, I've become much more optimistic Partly because of people like you or who um, have finding other ways, innovative, disruptive ways of delivering healthcare and providing that relationship that I think many people thought had been lost in medicine, that patient-physician relationship. I mean, I guess why do, is that sort of one of the, is that the impetus for your, for your company in some ways to try and rekindle that? It's, it's everything. Uh, that's the central thesis uh, to why we started this and looking at you know, um, well, just, just to t stick a step back to what you just said, and I'm sitting here nodding my head like, oh, yeah, now every single physician that we work with at Freedom HealthWorks recommends people go into medicine. I remember the day that, uh, so my dad is a client of ours, and he has his membership-based practice, primary care practice, 
um, depending on what, what part of the country you're in, you kind of call it something a little bit different. Yeah, sure. Um, it's an insurance-free practice. Let's just, you know, kind of level set there. And he called me and they were, their practice uh, was open for a couple months and Freedom HealthWorks helped, you know, help them set up through business development, through all those different steps to creating and installing membership-based care, saying goodbye to Medicare, saying goodbye to insurance practices, installing that monthly, real low monthly um, uh, uh, fee structure. He called me, he said, Chris, you're never gonna be able to happen to me today. I, for the first time in 20 years, told somebody, yes, medical school is a great idea, but only if you go into this type of a model. <laughs> and he was generally excited. Like this was a kid in a candy store. My dad was in his late sixties uh, when he did this. And you know, I just wanted to call out that story because you know, for the first time, like I'm hearing these stories again and it's refreshing to me to be on this side saying, oh my gosh, like medicine's always been very true and dear to my heart. Um, there's a lot of great people out there, the smartest and brightest people in the world, uh, especially with our communities are choosing to go into medicine and they're doing it because they want to take care of other people. So let's help them succeed. And so that's where Freedom Health was kind of born. Um, you know, it's a very personal story and, and very family oriented that, you know, mom and dad were going to retire. They said, you know what, after 30 years of practice, we can't do this anymore. Uh, it's too yeah. expensive to run a practice. Our reimbursements are getting delayed. Um, I'm not even sure why we call them reimbursements. This is our services. This is our time and our expertise and our education yeah. that we're putting out here. Why do we have to wait six months for you know somebody to say, yeah, you're not worth that much? They're like, we're done. And like I said, like they were their physicians and in, 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 uh, growing town now. Um, but dad's been there since like 1982. And like this guy could run unopposed for mayor and just be elected and it's like everybody knows him you know it's <laughs> yeah, like right. and uh he's got like citizen of the year and does like the friday night football games and stuff and we're like why why are you retiring and they told you that and we said well uh, you know he's an faa senior medical examiner he loves flying i do too it's a passion of mine and we said well, why don't you just do faa exams and just take cash and put a shingle out there and he said he kind of sat back he's like you know what? that's interesting i'm not sure that's legal though i think i have to do business with insurance companies Oh. All of a sudden, bing, bright idea light comes on. Let's talk to some other physicians who might have some misconceptions of what it is to go back into independent medicine. And so we 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 spent about a year and a half just learning different models that existed around the country at that time. It was 2014. There were docs doing membership-based care out there. Um, they were doing all kinds of different things. Um, some were more of a concierge model and some were more of a when someone walks in my practice, I start a stopwatch and they pay me by the minute. And so we we got the privilege and kind of the advantage of cherry picking a lot of different models um, in order to kind of build this business case and build this business model around to see, see what would happen. And there were some missteps very early on, but that's that's really how we got started in Freedom HealthWorks is, you know, like I said, I went to business school. A lot of physicians, you know, sp have very little business education um, not saying that it counts for a lot uh, of, of success factors, but if we can be kind of the business side and they get to focus on patients, I think that is a wonderful, wonderful partnership that can really blossom. It's interesting because, you know, if you are not happy with what you're doing, you're never going to want anyone else to do it. But as soon as you're happy with doing it and to that point, you want people who are taking care of you to be happy with what they're doing. And so that it's, it's, it saddens me to think that there's so many people who are just kind of slaving away in a job 
because they're not going to provide as good a care. It's not going to be the same experience as a patient or for the physician for that matter. Right. So I, I totally agree. You really have the passion. I, I got, uh, I have so many stories cause I, I get the privilege of talking a lot to a lot of physicians and I know you do too, but one thing that, that you said really sticks out is, is, um, you know, we have a dear family friend who was running, um, the, the family medicine department at one of the med schools. And she said, you know, by the very last day, um, I got yelled at by an administrator because my residents were taking too long with patients. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah. can you imagine if you are a, a patient and you hear a, a conversation in the hallway, it wasn't secret that the doctor's taking too long with you. And yeah, those stories abound all over the place. It's, it's, it's scary from my side, being a civilian, I guess, uh, and this one, a non-medical person that's just like, oh my gosh, that's not what I want to experience. That's the exact opposite of what anybody wants to experience when they're sick or they need treatment from somebody that they trust. Yeah, absolutely. No one wants to be told that they're wasting your time or they're taking too much of your time, even if that might be the case, right? Like sometimes people talk too much. And, but um, So... I guess explain a little bit what you do because people on the show or listening to the show are familiar with direct primary care. They know um, it's like a concierge, but not with insurance, generally speaking. Uh, just like, as you said, depends where you live and what people recognize as what the care is called. I guess you know, come to it from two ends. One is just explain what you do. And then, and then if someone's listening and say, you know, I've always thought about leaving uh, whatever, you know, hospital system X, whatever, and I want to go do my own, but I'm worried that. I mean, the, the big concerns, I guess maybe you can go through that. So why don't you just talk about what you do and then we'll sort of go on from there. Yeah. The general business model that we, that we work with is, you know, patient panel of about 500 patients, um, depending where you are, we're able to price services according to, you know, local supply and demand. It's a, it's a very novel market concept that runs anything from the price of milk to the price of gas to attorney's fees all the way up rent. It's all priced locally. And Washington isn't going to be able to put a one size fits all into any type of medical pricing or medical services. And so, you know, we work with people in rural areas that charge a lower monthly fee than people who work in the middle of bustling cities. It's basic cost of living. So the model that we install is 500 patients. You see about six people to eight people, um, depending how long you want to you take, you know, for a visit, uh, per day. So about 45 to 60 minutes. Um, and then, you know, you build in kind of what we call fire breaks for virtual care. Uh, and what I mean by virtual care is pretty much a lot of text messaging. Uh, people want peace of mind sure. and that's especially with primary care. So, you know, we mostly work with uh, general practitioners, family doctors, internal medicine, and pediatrics. Those are like the three main, three or four main specialties uh, that are really taking off. Um, and they're the gatekeepers. That is kind of what primary care encompasses. So it's a lower patient volume in total. With that goes a very low overhead too. Typical physician's office that sees 25 to 4,500 patients has about five to six full-time employees per physician. That is a massive amount of overhead, um, not to mention the space requirements. Our model takes a single physician who can run this on their, their own with our help. Maybe they hire a front office person to just kind of do some scheduling and some of the some of the smaller tasks, you know, rooming patients if you want to. But it, it, it's kind of up to the physician to to build it how they want to. So a very lean business model um, with about 500 patients, and we tell physicians that your patient care is going to increase because your touch points go from about three to four in a typical practice to 20. 
the average patient in a, in a freedom health works practice is they, they talk to their doctor about 20 times a year and about mm -hmm. 15 to 17 of those are all virtual or text-based or kind of phone calls. Um, and what that does is allow the physician to, again, like provide kind of that, that, that counseling, that, that, that almost therapy, that peace of mind. It's not just dealing with acute and chronic diseases, um, but it gets to establish that relationship. So with kind of the, 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 the kind of framework of our model spilled out there, um, you know, it's a fifth of the patients and basically twice the money <laughs> uh, from an income right. standpoint. So people are like, okay, that's a pretty good lifestyle trade. But the main question is, do I get to take better care of patients? And the answer is, yeah, like we talked about, the doctor-patient relationship is alive and well. We have clients who are doing house calls. We have clients who have met people out at soccer fields because the eight-year-old just sprained the ankle and they need to know whether they need x-rays or, or not. They, we've had clients who have walked into emergency rooms and pulled their patients out and told them, you do not need to be here. What are you doing? I just saved you 3000 bucks. And these are real life stories of human beings making impacts on other human beings in their local community. So, you know, touch upon what we do at Freedom HealthWorks a little bit there, but basically the crux of it is we provide three different services. We are an incubator. So we help physicians potentially exit employment medicine, uh, say you want to leave a hospital and start up your own independent practice, we will help you do that. And we will guide you through a proven process that will get you from day one to about day 90. And at the end of that, you come out, you're a business owner, you are a practice owner, and your practice is ready to start seeing patients and making money utilizing a very barrier-free practice with this membership type of a model. So you get recurring revenue, you get time with people, and you don't have any of the uh, kind of BS in between there. Then we put a different hat on. We move to accelerator mode. That's our kind of our support functions. And we say, all right, let's go get your goal, the number of patients. Some docs want 200, some docs want 500, some docs want a multi-clinic. Some people want to hire and say, hey, look, everybody in the world should have this. So let's let's take it out there. Let's spread it like wildfire. And we say, okay, great. We'll, we'll, we'll be here helping you do it, but this is very physician led. And then the third one um, is what we call community. Um, private practice as a solo physician can be very lonely. And I do not want to discount that because I'm very, I'm a very social person. Um, I thrive off of being able to throw ideas around. And when you take somebody who's been in a hospital setting, whether they enjoy that or not, there is still some camaraderie there. They have an ability to ask some associates and some physician colleagues, you know, how they should handle different things. And so we connect all these practices together um, kind of behind the scenes so that physicians are never alone. We always say that, working with Freedom Health Work, starting up your own practice, you are independent, you are not alone. So those are the three kind of main service areas in which we touch, um, you know, going into more detail. It's 160 some steps to our, our launch process. There are hundreds of man hours that we invest for you. This isn't just some checklist. This isn't just a, hey, go read my book and you'll be able to set it up <laughs> from there. We're doing it, everything for you. And, you know, when people say, well, why should I work with Freedom Health Works instead of go doing it my own or doing this? And it's a really easy answer. We save you time and we save you money. And there's no, absolutely no question about that. So the, the biggest barrier I imagine for someone who's, let's say someone's been practiced for 10 years and they've got, um, I don't know, maybe they have a no compete clause in their contract. Maybe they don't. I think that's something maybe you could address as well. The big question is, you know, if I move to this, am I going to have tumbleweed going through my, my exam room? How do I get my patients who know me and who follow me or how do I get them to follow me into my new practice? How do you, I mean, that's got to be the biggest, the biggest concern for most people, because I'm sure the, 
the conceptual, like I see less patients, I make about the same money or more. It's a win-win, right, for the patient and the, the care I can provide, but am I going to actually have anyone to care for? There are three main risks, and that's one of them, uh, to anybody starting any business um, out there. One, operational. I don't know how to run a business. What do I do? There is a uh, financial risk. How can I afford this? If I don't have enough money right now, what are, what are my options? And then there's the market risk, like you just said. Is anybody going to show up? Is anybody going to buy my service, buy my product? Um, somebody starting in a business in 2022 right now is in a better spot just as a macro level than when we started back in really our first practice went live in 2016 because people understand this model from a consumer standpoint and businesses understand it so when we go into a new practice um, or, or sign a new client and say all right here's all the steps we're going to do you know we do a lot of education around this topic this kind of boogeyman out there called marketing Marketing can be a very scary word to people because it encompasses a lot and it's constantly changing. Um, and so when we say marketing, it's like, okay, let's start with your, your branding, your logo. How do you talk about your business? What are your slogans? What are your colors? How are we going to get word out in the local community? And you, and you go from there and you start building things like websites. You start building multi-channels that people can get information and get the right information, cut out the noise. You know, if somebody... If we have a physician who wants to basically write war and peace on their website, we say, you know what, that's really not a good idea. Uh, websites, you got about 90 seconds to capture someone's attention and get them to call you or fill out a form or else they're gone forever. Does putting war and peace on there and your, your entire thesis, your, 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 you know, everything that you possibly know to prove that you're a good doctor, it's not going to get anybody. Um, you know, we, we, do, we look at effective advertising. How are people calling it? What, what, where are people going to find new physicians? And there's shockingly a lot of people out there who are frustrated with the medical community because they are expecting a very bad experience every time that they need to go see a physician. And so people are putting off care. And so when you talk to people that you meet and you say, hey, I'm a physician, I got this great practice. I can see you same day, next day, here's the price. Nothing is hidden. We are open to every single person, regardless of what your insurance card is in your wallet. That can be a very powerful statement, but you've got to be able to speak about it and put that little twist on it. If somebody calls into your practice and you say, and they ask you, say, hey, I got uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield insurance. How's this work with it? And you say, no, we, we, we can't accept that. You see how that changes that conversation from we can accept anybody regardless of your, your insurance to mm, no, we don't accept insurance. So right. little things like that um, make a big, big difference. And 75% of these practices grow by word of mouth marketing. It is great patient experiences. It is happy people actually getting to spend time with physicians. And that's what, that's what we find consumers really, really want above all else. Do you find the market changing a little bit in the sense that you know, maybe now you see more employers looking to uh, usher their patients or their employees into a direct primary care model, or is that not yet happening? I mean, cause I feel like that's ultimately where the market will end up, but is it, is it there yet? A little bit. Um, it is gaining speed because, uh, excuse me, employers, I mean, they're getting throttled with increases um, on their plans and, and their their employees do not understand plan benefits. Plan benefit design is, is something that um, is very murky. Um, nobody really understands kind of what goes into deductibles, out-of-pocket maximum, premiums, co-insurance, co-pays. There's a lot of terms right there that the average American is going to look at that and say, well, what in the world is this? 
And then they're going to start realizing that you're taking more and more and more money out of their paycheck or a business is going to start realizing that, you know what, if we stop providing benefits, we could hire two to three more people. I mean, this is a, that's a huge chunk of money. And so to answer your question, I think the answer is yes, that employers are waking up to it. Um, I've never seen employers as kind of the silver bullet that really makes this industry go. We've always focused on retail patients because there's higher utilization out there from retail patients. When people choose to join your practice, they're not going to go anywhere unless something you know, a life event happens. They're going to become multi-generational patients. So let's invest a couple hundred bucks you know, into advertising, grab a retail patient because that person's going to be there for years. That person's kids are going to be there for years. Too many times I see business or see practices go after employers and some have been very successful, but others say, you know what? We got this big employer on here. They were most of our business. And then the plan changed in a year or two and we lost everything. And those are the only practices that failed during the COVID pandemic. I think that's a worthwhile thing to call out. Um, every other DPC practice out there actually grew during the COVID pandemic, uh, which is again, setting them apart from traditional medical offices that accept insurance. So um, kind of a long answer to a, to a short question there, Doc. So I apologize, but um, it is gaining steam. In my mind, it's the companies who have less than 50 employees who are really looking for looking to this as a way to attract and retain talent, because now I can actually provide a tangible benefit. I'm going to give my people an actual real doctor that they can call and actually get seen and not just some kind of insurance plan that is out in the ether and you don't really want to use it because it's too expensive and you can't afford it anyways. You'd say it's a unique product that people actually value and that they see as a benefit to working for you to have that sort of um, Absolutely. exposure. Most of the people I've talked to at DPC are either internists or family medicine. You'd mentioned pediatrics. I've talked to a couple pediatricians who've gone into this, but I have a friend uh, who's been on the show a couple of times, <laughs> Dr. Edison, and, and she's skeptical that a, that a pediatric program could work because she's like, patients... Um, they're not willing to pay for their kid coming once a year, right? For a membership base and all those things, right? And so she doesn't think that actually it is a viable model without having a family practice aspect to it, that you can't just do peds. And then with the vaccinations as well, that it's hard to get access to vaccines and and store them, you know, from an overhead standpoint. It is if you're a solo practice and not part of a community like Freedom Health Works. Um, and I, I say that not to toot our own horn. I, I really don't, but... A single practice with a couple hundred people is not going to be able to get any attention from any medical vendor out there. It's a, they're just not. Um, you have no negotiating power whatsoever. So I completely agree with that sentiment. Um, solo practice completely by yourself is tough. Um, again, I'm the biggest cheerleader in the world for the docs who are able to do that, but it is a lot harder rather than joining with something that is an independent organization of like minds. Um, I was kind of smiling when you said that because I got a, uh, we got a note here today from a patient of a pediatrics practice um, here in Indianapolis and uh, their nine-year-old fell today, busted his chin open, needed stitches. And so they ran into the clinic. It was a hundred bucks and they were out in and out like that. You contrast that with, I don't know what, an urgent care. What, what would somebody do in that case for, to take Probably care of a urgent kid? Care. Yeah. ER maybe. Yeah. I, you're just not, not gonna yeah. you're not gonna get that level of service and that level of immediate action, and so I have two I have two little kids. Um, our doctor has been invaluable. Um, I don't know how any parent raises a newborn, let alone their first kid, 
without a physician on speed dial or able to text them in the middle of the night. I do not understand it. Kudos to the people that do because there's every little squeak and, and, uh, and, and rash and cry. Is this normal? Is this okay? And you just want somebody to say, yeah, this is, this is okay. This is normal. Um, this is fine. Somebody who's going to take time to walk through, you know, vaccine options and say, okay, at six months, here's what we're getting here. This is, this is what we see. And, you know, being able to ask questions from your kid's care has been, I don't know, it, it very de-stressing, I guess, as a parent. So I love the fact that pediatrics are, are growing like crazy. And um, from a marketing standpoint, I would tell any pediatrician out there that once you have one happy mom, you're going to have a whole lot of happy moms calling you who <laughs> want that exact same level and who are tired of taking all the kids into, you know, for one kid's doctor's appointment and piling into a waiting room full of sick people and waiting there for an hour, trying to, trying to prevent chaos from erupting. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see the, adva- I, I can always see the advantage. I'm not in primary care, but I can definitely see the advantage from a, the physician standpoint and certainly from a patient perspective as well, as long as, as long as the price points one that you can stomach and, and works for you, it makes a lot of sense. What do you think is the main barrier to physicians right now going into this model? Is it just lack of knowledge? Is it comfort within the, the current system? Do they, cause I mean, my impression is they don't like the system they're in. I mean, very few physicians are happy with working for a big box uh, healthcare system. That's my, my impression. And maybe I just talked to the wrong people, but I think that's probably pretty accurate. There are multiple studies that, you know, put that number, I've seen 73 all the way up to in the nineties of dissatisfied physicians um, with the current employment structure in the current hospitals. By and large, the biggest barrier is education. You know, I, I've seen some numbers that about only a third, maybe physicians in our country know that this type of a model even exists. Have ever even heard of it? Don't even know the details. There are some people out there that financially cannot make it work, whether they are overextended, whether they've gotten bad financial advice, it can be a very, oh, I hate the word risk because risk would in, imply something that that no one's really ever done before or that there's negative uh, outcomes. It, there, there's uncertainty starting every business and this is no different. If I go outside and start a hot dog stand, there, there's an uncertainty that it might not be successful, but I wouldn't say it's a risky venture because there's a tried and two method of, of doing this. And so, you know, along those lines, people have to be willing to say, all right, I'm going to effectively start a second career. I am still a physician. If this doesn't work out, you know, the investment is, is very minimal. Um, most of our practices are profitable within 20 to $60,000 worth of investment. And that includes working capital. And I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of misconceptions that the number is actually three, four, five times that. And it's really not. Um, if you run a smart business and, and you, you act diligently to invest smartly and invest in the right areas, um, the, returning, the return potential on this type of a practice model is incredible. Uh, it, it really, really is. So with that, yes, there's a lot of physicians out there who are addicted to salary. It is a great way to make a living, but you're working your tail off. And if you can do it for 35 years because you're a slave to that paycheck, okay, all right. It's not how I would have chosen to live my life, but if that's what you want to do, great, that's fine. Um, at the end of the day, you are still a physician. So if your business 
uh, does not take off or does not achieve the success you want, guess what? You're gonna have a job tomorrow. Um, right. And then you get yeah. to try again. You get to cut expenses. You get to live the lifestyle that's like, okay, I'm gonna put my nest egg away. Maybe my business was underfunded before um, because I'm not shying away from the fact that this is not just a, hey, this is a free thing and you build it, everybody shows up. You have to work for this. But again, that's why you're a physician. It, it, it's, no, it's not harder than medical school. Uh, I can guarantee you that. It's gonna be a little unfamiliar, but there are good people out there that want to see you succeed. And I, I, I would say, you know, make sure you get the right advice from the right places, but do your research. If you need help, ask for help. Uh, it, it's okay. Um, you know, I'm sympathetic to the doctors are usually the ones that have to have the answers, whether they know them or not in the exam room. And that's not the case in the business world. Um, there are a lot of smart people out there willing to, willing to help you and support you and not be oppressive in it so that you can go back to being a doctor again. I find that DPC doc, docs in general are um, very willing to give you, give you advice and help out people, uh, you know, what the do's and don'ts too, uh, because I don't think they're worried about people stealing their idea. <laughs> yeah. Like they've got plenty of business, right? It's like, I don't, you're not going to take my patients. You're uh, 10 miles away from me. Competition. Yeah. Competition is a word that just does not exist in this industry's vocabulary. Um, yeah. The only thing I, I would say is, is there are a lot of DPC doctors out there who have made mistakes. And I, when I talk to them about, you know, this is why freedom health works exist. And, you know, some of them have even told me, well, it's healthy to make mistakes. And that's how you learn. I'm like, Ooh, okay. On one hand, I do agree with that, but if that's a 10 to 15, $20,000 mistake, that has real implications on a business's bottom line. So let's avoid those big ones. Let's, let's make a mistake, uh, you know, that, that I didn't schedule somebody for a, a 50 minute visit when it should have been a 30 minute visit. Let's make those kind of mistakes, not the big checkbook oriented mistakes. Yeah. And I, I feel when it, looking at the, the generation coming up and boy, I'm already sounding like an old man here, but they, there definitely is more of an emphasis on uh, a full life or uh, not just being defined by your career. And I feel like the, like the, when I see the younger partners who come in, they're not, they're not quite as committed to working crazy hours. They're, they don't want to have, they want to have, make sure they have time with their family vacation and things like that. And it, it causes a, you know, maybe like a generational, not a rift, but certainly trying to figure things out within a, within a art, like our practice, for instance, you know, trying to, these people have different ideas of what they want to do, what, being employed as a physician means. Um, mm-hmm. And so I can definitely see how DPC is very appealing for this sort of generation. The, of course, the, the big problem, of course, is if you're coming out of school, usually oftentimes you're saddled with pretty impressive debt. And that is the big giant carrot that these healthcare systems hold out, say, well, we'll take care of your debt. You work for us for, I don't know, five years or whatever. How do you, how do you take care of that? Because, you know, if you have someone coming out of school with a quarter million dollars of debt, which is not that unusual, and you say, hey, I want you to start a business. No one knows who you are in this, whatever, this town, right? Is that something that's worthwhile? Or is that say, or did you say, you know what, maybe you just work and get your, you know, cut your teeth in a, the regular health system for a couple of years? Or how do you get people through that? Because that, that seems like a big problem barrier for people coming right out of school. Yeah. So how do you compete with a local not-for-profit hospital that pays no taxes and will waive <laughs> your debt after seven years of uh, servitude? That's tough. Uh, it, <laughs> I, in no uncertain terms, right? Your your friendly nonprofit hospital. Um, gosh, that that that's a kind of a loaded subject right there. Um, what I've seen is that we have a misconception uh, on on student debt, and I do agree with you that medical school is is 
you know, sometimes prohibitively expensive, but I think about a quarter of new uh, residents come out with like 200K or more in debt right. and others have a little bit more approachable levels. It's if, if they are willing to, you know, live a little leaner, not in poverty for, you know, a little longer and they have the cash to support it, they can be very successful because I, I think that builds good business habits. Um, apart from that, you know, if someone says, look, I want to really want to do this model. I don't have any income to, or any savings to invest in this. What we're actually seeing is that the later stage DPC doctors are begging for apprenticeship might be the wrong word, but more of like a, like a post-residency externship. They want to bring somebody on who is going to have the same passion for patient care that they do. And what would be really cool is, is if we could do this all over the nation, because we're doing it in spots and, and, and here and there right now as, as the desire comes up. But you have a physician in their 60s who you know probably peak uh, anywhere from the late 50s or early 60s is where physicians usually peak in a career set. That's about 10 to 15 years later than a traditional corporate white collar worker. Um, it's a practice of medicine, right? It's the, it's the intersection of art and science. It's, it's, it's a lifelong learning. It's always evolving. Older docs want to pass that on. That's the bottom line. And so what we're seeing is a lot of these brand new residents come out who have the chops and have the, the desire to go out there and take care of the patients are joining onto these practices and eventually kind of building out a buyout pattern with them, a buyout plan. You see this in dentistry and veterinary medicine all the time. Um, and what we're doing is kind of reintroducing that into medicine because if you ask the average doctor, you talk to him and say, Hey, what does it mean to sell your practice? Or you hear a doctor that says, Hey, I sold my practice to a hospital in no way, shape or form would anybody else in the business community say, yeah, that's a business sale. All they did was hand their patients off to some hospital system to get rerouted wherever. And then the hospital signed them on for a salary, maybe gave them a bonus for signing that is payable, you know, if you hit these quality metrics over the next couple of years. Right. That is not a business sale. So, you know, kind of going back to your previous question, what are some of the some of the uh, some barriers of physicians? It's just the vernacular, the vocabulary, just the thought process around business is, is completely backwards. And, and I'm okay saying that um, because we've seen it. So having that young doctor come in learning your patients, learning your, 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 your localization, your, your local community, becoming trusted and eventually buying that practice over kind of your course of your retirement. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, you know, it really, really does. So I, I'm just painting a picture of one likely scenario that we're starting to see pop up. Um, you know, what, one last point to that is that for the first time in human history, people are able to live where they want to live and then earn a living because of the internet. No other time have we been able to do that. We move to factory towns. We move where the work is, right? Now we can go anywhere. And so rural medicine is taking off under this model and they're doing very, very well because they are, have a monopoly on that town. And that becomes a very good draw when you talk to somebody right out of school saying, hey, come see my, join my practice. I got 500 people. You're going to eventually take this over. By the way, we had a great community here who's going to know you. you're going to be a rock stars. I mean, that's, that's, that's attractive to a lot of different people out there. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, I find it very exciting that these things are happening. Um, and I wish you the best of success and all these docs who are willing to exit because I, it is a, anytime you make a change, it's scary. And so I, I get that. And just like I talked to uh, Ethan Inacana a couple episodes ago, we, and he sort of, he helps as a talent agency, he helps physicians work within a system, you know, to get better contracts and stuff. And so kind of whatever, 
I think there are more options for physicians in general. Whatever you choose to do, there are people there who are willing to help you and to be successful and to, to follow the dreams wherever they may lead. So I think that's great that we have so many options for people now. Well, Chris Habig from uh, healthcare, uh, Freedom HealthWorks and Healthcare Americana podcast, thanks so much for being on The Paradox. I appreciate it. Dr. Lars, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. Thank you.